Hello, and welcome back to Ask God 365, a weekly podcast where we seek to find biblical answers to life's difficult questions. Today's question is, what were the seven last statements of Christ on the cross? Even though it's hard to think of Christ on the cross, focusing on the cross gives us meaning to the empty tomb and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Let's get into it. Scripture tells us that Jesus made seven statements while he was on the cross of Calvary that not only reinforce his earthly ministry, but also give further insight into his character. In taking a closer look at these seven phrases and paying attention to the details, we can prepare to celebrate the incarnation, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection, and ascension of Christ, because we will better understand the true cost of the infinite sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. These seven statements are number one, Luke found in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second is found in Luke 23, 43, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And we're going to break these down a little bit more uh, as we finish the list here. Number three, John 19, 26 through 27, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Number four, Matthew 27, verse 46, and Mark 15, 34, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Number five, John 19, 28, I thirst. John 19, 30, it is finished. And lastly, number seven, Luke 23, verse 46, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So let's look at Luke 23, 34, the first of the statements. Father, forgive them, for they know not what what they do. Here we see Jesus on the cross praying for the very people that were working to kill him. Even in his death, Jesus was looking at others and giving the mercy and grace and forgiveness that only he could offer. Not only that, but Jesus was interceding for sinners, modeling what believers today are called to do to carry on his ministry. From the book Desire of Ages, the author says, The Savior made no murmur of complaint. His face remained calm and serene, but great drops of sweat stood upon his brow. There was no pitying hand to wipe the death dew from his face, nor words of sympathy and unchanging fidelity to stay his human heart. While soldiers were doing their fearful work, Jesus prayed for his enemies the soldiers, by saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
his mind passed from his own suffering to the sin of his persecutors and the terrible retribution that would be theirs. No curses were called down upon the soldiers who were handling him so roughly. No vengeance was invoked upon the priests and rulers who were gloating over the accomplishment of their purpose. Christ pitied them in their ignorance and guilt. He breathed only a plea for their forgiveness, for they know not what they do. The prayer of Christ for his enemies embraced the world. It took in every sinner that had lived or should live from the beginning of the world to the end of time. Upon all rests the guilt of crucifying the Son of God. To all, forgiveness is freely offered. Whosoever will may have peace with God and inherit eternal life. The second statement Jesus made on the cross was found in Luke 23, verse 43. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When one of the two criminals that hung beside Jesus asked that Jesus remember him in his kingdom, this was Jesus' response. This statement reveals Jesus' supremacy and his power to save. In the same way, when we recognize Jesus as Lord and King and make him the Lord of our lives, he is faithful to save us, even at the eleventh hour of our lives. From the book Desire of Ages There is no question now. There are no doubts, no reproaches. When condemned for his crime, the thief had become hopeless and despairing. But strange, tender thoughts now spring up. He calls to mind all he has heard of Jesus, how he has healed the sick and pardoned sin. He has heard the words of those who believed in Jesus and followed him weeping. He has seen and read the title above the Savior's head. He has heard the passers-by repeated, some with grieved, quivering lips, others with jesting and mockery. The Holy Spirit illuminates his mind, and little by little, the chain of evidence is joined together. In Jesus, bruised, mocked, and hanging upon the cross, he sees the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Hope is mingled with anguish in his voice as the helpless, dying soul casts himself upon a dying Savior. Lord, remember me, he cries, when thou comest into thy kingdom. Quickly the answer came, soft and melodious the tone, full of love, compassion, and power, the words, Verily, I say unto you today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. The third statement is found in John 19, verses 26 and 27. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. As Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary, he lovingly entrusted the care of his mother, Mary, to John, the disciple that he loved. In doing so, he not only revealed his love for his mother and desire for her to be taken care of, but also his obedience to the law. In the Old Testament law, the firstborn son 
was to take care of his mother. So Jesus was obedient to the end. Now we too are to be obedient to the commands of Jesus and to make sure we are lovingly caring for those entrusted to us. From Desire of Ages As the eyes of Jesus wandered over the multitude about him, one figure arrested his attention. At the foot of the cross stood his mother, supported by the disciple John. She could not endure to remain away from her son, and John, knowing that the end was near, had brought her again to the cross. In his dying hour, Christ remembered his mother. Looking into her grief-stricken face, and then upon John, he said to her, Woman, behold thy son, and then to John, behold thy mother. John understood Christ's words, and accepted the trust. He at once took Mary to his home, and from that hour cared for her tenderly, pitifully, the loving Savior. Amid all his physical pain and mental anguish, he had a thoughtful care for his mother. He had no money with which to provide for her comfort, but he was enshrined in the heart of John, and he gave his mother to him as a precious legacy. Thus, he provided for her that which she needed most, the tender sympathy of one who loved her because she loved Jesus. And in receiving her as a sacred trust, John was receiving a great blessing, and she was a constant reminder of the beloved Master. The perfect example of Christ's filial love shines forth with undimmed luster from the mist of ages. For nearly 30 years, Jesus, by his daily toil, had helped bear the burden of the home. And now, even in his last agony, he remembers to provide for his sorrowing, widowed mother. The same spirit will be seen in every disciple of our Lord. Those who follow Christ will feel that it is part of their religion to respect and provide for their parents. From the heart where his love is cherished, father and mother will never fail of receiving thoughtful care and tender sympathy. Number four, Matthew twenty-seven forty-six and Mark fifteen thirty-four. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This may be one of the hardest moments in Scripture to grasp, because even though the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, for this moment the Father was separated from the Son. Because God is holy, he cannot be in the presence of sin. But we know that Jesus on the cross became sin for us. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God, through Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, so that we could be washed clean and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Salvation was full and complete on Calvary. It is our choice to believe in Jesus Christ with our body, mind, and soul. This statement should break our heart and give us deep, deep sense of gratitude and pause. Because Jesus became sin, and left God's presence, we can enter his presence. 
Hallelujah, what a Savior. From Desire of Ages. At the ninth hour, the darkness lifted from the people, but still enveloped the Savior. It was a symbol of the agony and horror that weighed upon his heart. No eye could pierce the gloom that surrounded the cross, and none could penetrate the deeper gloom that enshrouded the soul of Christ. Angry lightning seemed to be hurled at him as he hung upon the cross. Then Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As the outer gloom settled upon the Savior, many voices exclaimed, The vengeance of heaven is upon him. The bolts of God's wrath are hurled at him because he claimed to be the Son of God. And many who believed on him heard his despairing cry. Hope left them. If God had forsaken Jesus, in what could his followers trust? Number five is found in John 19, verse 28. I thirst. Born as God incarnate, Jesus was both fully God and fully man, the mystery of godliness. Here we see his humanity. As Jesus hung on the cross, he expressed his thirst and received vinegar to drink, fulfilling the prophecy in Psalm 69:21. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Because of this, we can know that Jesus knows and understands our sufferings. There is nothing we can't bring to him that he won't understand. From Desire of Ages When the darkness lifted from the oppressed spirit of Christ, he revived to a sense of physical suffering and said, I thirst. One of the Roman soldiers, touched with pity as he looked upon the parched lips, took a sponge on a stalk of hyssop, and dipping it in a vessel of vinegar, offered it to Jesus. But the priests mocked at his agony. When darkness covered the earth, they had been filled with fear. As their terror abated, the dread returned that Jesus would yet escape them. His words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, they misinterpreted. With bitter contempt and scorn, they said, this man calls for Elias. The last opportunity to relieve his suffering, they refused. Let be, they said. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. The spotless Son of God hung upon the cross, his flesh lacerated with stripes, those hands so often reached out in blessing, nailed to the wooden bars, those feet so tireless on ministries of love, spiked to the tree, that royal head pierced by the crown of thorns, those quivering lips shaped to the cry of woe, and all that he endured, the blood drops that flowed from his head, his hands, his feet, the agony that racked his frame, and the unutterable anguish that filled his soul at the hiding of his father's face, speaks to each child of humanity, declaring, It is for thee, that the Son of God consents to bear this burden of guilt. For thee, he spoils the domain of death 
and opens the gates of paradise. He who stilled the angry waves and walked the foam-capped billows, who made devils tremble and disease flee, who opened blind eyes and called forth the dead to life, offers himself upon the cross as a sacrifice, and from this love to thee. He, the sin-bearer, endures the wrath of divine justice, and for thy sake becomes sin itself. Number six, found John 19, verse 30. It is finished. As Jesus was on the cross and seconds away from death, he exclaimed that it is finished. His suffering was over. His work that the Father gave him to do was over, and he had made a way for sinners to live in eternity with God. He had successfully conquered death, the second death, and accomplished his mission. While this was the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, it was the beginning of his new ministry and his new covenant with his followers. Our sin died with Jesus on the cross of Calvary, and this phrase should bring us great joy and reason to celebrate. He did it, and it is finished. In him, we have hope. Suddenly, the gloom lifted from the cross. In silence, the beholders watched for the end of the fearful scene. The sun shone, but the cross was still enveloped in darkness. Priests and rulers looked toward Jerusalem, and lo, the dense cloud had settled over the city and the plains of Judea. The sun of righteousness, the light of the world, was withdrawing his beams from the once favored city of Jerusalem, and the fierce lightnings of God's wrath were directed against the fated city. Suddenly, the gloom lifts from the cross, and in clear, trumpet-like tones that seemed to resound throughout creation, Jesus cried, It is finished. Number seven, Luke 23, 46. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. In his last breath, Jesus willingly gave up his spirit on the cross. His last words reveal that his spirit was not taken from him, but instead he gave it as the ultimate sacrifice, paving a way for you and me to receive salvation. As we look to his example, we too should be willing to sacrifice all for the sake of the gospel. From the book, Desire of Ages. Suddenly the gloom lifted from the cross, and in clear trumpet-like tones that seemed to resound throughout creation, Jesus cried, It is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. A light encircled the cross and the face of Jesus shone with a glory like the sun. He then bowed his head upon his breast and died. Amid the awful darkness, apparently forsaken of God, Christ had drained the last dregs in the cup of human woe. In those dreadful hours, he had relied upon the evidence of his Father's acceptance heretofore given him. He was acquainted with the character of his father. He understood his justice, his mercy, 
and his great love. By faith he rested in him whom it had ever been his joy to obey. And as in submission he committed himself to God, and the sense of the loss of his father's favor was withdrawn. By Christ, by faith, Christ was the victor. By faith, Christ was the victor. Hanging upon the cross, Christ was the gospel. Now, you and I have a message. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Will you and I not keep our eyes fixed on a crucified and risen Savior, in whom our hopes of eternal life are centered? This, my friend, is our message, our argument, our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement for the sorrowing, the hope of every believer. Christ crucified, talk it, pray it, sing it, and it will break and win hearts. This is the power and wisdom of God to gather souls for Christ. Our prayer today, friend, is that by taking time to examine what Jesus said on the cross, your celebration of the incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ will be richer, more meaningful, and filled with awe and infinite gratitude. Thank you for being part of the Ask God 365 podcast community. We value you and appreciate greatly the time you are spending with us today. We are praying for you. Please share your comments and questions at askgod365.com. Listen, learn, think, grow together. Ask God 365, answers to life's difficult questions. May God bless you and keep you.